guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Kriags over, over coffee. coffee. guys so today we're going to be talking uh, about a topic that i feel like we haven't talked about and again it's one of those things that i feel like we've missed but we're going to talk about influenza and pregnancy so what are our learning objectives today nick yeah so we'll discuss sort of the risks of influenza or flu in pregnancy we'll then talk about how to prevent the flu in pregnancy um, and then finally we'll review the treatment of flu in pregnancy um, the reading that goes along with this one is committee statement number seven. So ACOG has had different flu things throughout the year, but this is the newest one that was released in November 2023. All right, so Faye, um, I feel like we all know what the flu is, but I have to ask, what is the flu and specifically why do we care about it in pregnancy? Sure. So um, we did review the flu vaccine in pregnancy previously, but we actually never talked specifically about flu itself. So um, I'm sure we all know this, but flu is a contagious respiratory illness caused by the influenza virus. And the virus is a negative sense RNA virus. And there are multiple strains, including A, B, C, and D. Um, and we've probably heard about A and B. Um, you know, we hear like flu A, flu B, but C and D also can infect people. So flu A and flu B are known to cause more severe illness, but C can also cause cause a mild infection. Flu D can infect humans, but it's really not known to cause illness itself, but it's good to know that there are these four types. Transmission of the flu is through aerosols and contaminated surfaces, so that's why it's really important for us to make sure that we're covering our mouths when we cough or wear masks, and of course, you know, to make sure that we are practicing hand hygiene. And the reason we care about flu so much is that in typical years, as much as 5 to 15% of the population will contract the flu. And this leads to 3 to 5 million severe cases annually and up to 650,000 flu deaths a year in the entire world. And in the U.S., on average, 8% of the population will get sick from the flu per the CDC. And the people who are most likely to get sick are children um, and then people who are 65 and older uh, are actually least likely to get sick. But we know that pregnant and postpartum individuals are at significantly higher risk of serious complications related to seasonal and pandemic influenza infections compared to non-pregnant people. And that's why we care about it so much in pregnancy. Um, so next question then, Nick, is how do we prevent the flu? Yeah, so probably the thing that we're all familiar with, at least in some degree of respect, is vaccination, right? Um, Centers for Disease Control recommends that all adults receive an annual influenza vaccine and that individuals who are pregnant during the season receive an inactivated or recombinant influenza vaccine as soon as possible. The timing typically for the flu vaccine is end of October, which is ideal, but if it's past that, like we are now recording this in the new year, um, now is the great time to get the flu vaccine if you haven't gotten it already. Um, and also a good time to encourage it for your patients. Remember, it's safe to give the flu vaccine with other inactivated vaccines that may be needed in pregnancy. So it can be co-administered alongside things that we give like the Tdap vaccine, the new RSV vaccine, and or the COVID vaccines. Um, it's also safe for lactating individuals to receive the flu vaccine importantly. So don't forget at your postpartum visits to assess for flu vaccine status as well. The vaccine benefits the newborn when it's given during pregnancy, and that's a really important thing to take home and to share with patients because I think that we often forget about that. And this actually has randomized controlled trial and observational data behind it, demonstrating, again, neonatal protection that's increased when the mother is vaccinated against the flu. 
Studies show that when recommendations for flu vaccine are given during pregnancy and they come from the patient's OBGYN or another obstetric health professional and the vaccine's immediately available in the office, the odds of vaccine acceptance and receipt are somewhere between 5 and 50 fold higher. So again, there's good data out there that says that you can make a difference for all your patients in terms of preventing flu and preventing particularly severe illness, as well as helping to protect their babies once they're born. For more information on the flu vaccine, you can check out our prior episodes. Um, we covered vaccines in a multi-part series, but part one covered Tdap and influenza for a quick refresher. What are some other methods for the prevention of flu, Faye? Sure. So the first one that we'll talk about, I think we're all familiar with, which is masks. And this is probably, you know, something that we're still doing because of COVID, because of flu, because of RSV. Um, so mask wearing can help prevent transmission of many respiratory infections, particularly when community levels of circulating viruses are elevated. Um, and in terms of when to wear a mask, this will usually come from local public health guidance and recommendations based on community-centered risks. Um, it also can uh, come from individual specific vulnerability due to health conditions, and then also clinical and healthcare professional recommendations. So for example, currently at our hospital, we are recommending that everybody wear masks at any type of patient-facing uh, location. The other methods are things that I think we all instinctively already do as healthcare providers. So these are things like hand washing, um, you know, cleaning surfaces regularly, making sure that you're disinfecting surfaces between patients, and then making sure to use the usual techniques to minimize contamination or spread of disease. All right, so what about the next step, which is, you know, how do we actually evaluate for flu in pregnancy? What do, what do we do if we suspect that someone has the flu? Yeah, so this is the time of year where we're starting to see it, right? No, the first thing, obviously, you get suspicion when someone comes in and they have symptoms of the flu. And in particular, you should sort of raise your alarm bells if the patient has a combination of fever, which is greater than 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 Celsius, and one of the other following symptoms, cough, runny nose, sore throat, headache or body aches, fatigue, difficulty breathing, or shortness of breath. So again, a pretty long list there, um, and frankly, a pretty nonspecific list, but fever in combination with any one of those symptoms should prompt you to assess for flu. Um, you can test actually for both COVID and flu in these circumstances in order to maximally assess the patient for respiratory viruses. You also want to assess at the same time for a concern for illness severity. So things that might prompt you to say, huh, this patient's sicker than I would otherwise expect and might be tempted to keep her in the hospital are things like difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, chest pain or pressure, inability to keep down liquids, signs and symptoms of dehydration, patients with altered mental status who are less responsive or confused, or patients who are representing with worsening symptoms. Again, if a patient has any of those above, if you're triaging over the phone, tell them to go to the emergency department or some other location to be treated. If they're already presenting to you and you're assessing, then you may be thinking about hospitalization for those patients. If the patient doesn't have any of these illness severity symptoms, there are other reasons you might consider somebody to be seen in person um, or for kind of higher level of care if there are other comorbidities present. Now think about things like cardiovascular disease, pulmonary issues, patients with immunosuppressive conditions or on immunosuppressive therapies, or having obstetrical issues at the same time like preterm labor. Um, again, these patients kind of fall into more moderate risk category potentially and so should be triaged in person ideally um, to then make a plan as to as to their care from there. 
If the patient doesn't have any of those things, so again, they have this sort of fever, they've got the runny nose, they say, I kind of feel crummy, but otherwise I'm doing okay, I guess, you'd consider the patient low risk overall. They can be treated outpatient or even over the phone um, with follow-up to be arranged in the subsequent 24 to 48 hours to make sure, again, that symptoms are not worsening. Okay, so that's really the assessment period Faye, and we stratified that out into sort of like mild or low risk, moderate, and then high risk disease, right? Um, what do we do though in terms of thinking about that structure, or do we even need to think about that structure in terms of treating respiratory infections in pregnancy? Sure. So a lot of times the, you know, um, respiratory panel can take days to come back. And so if you truly suspect that somebody has the flu, you can go ahead and do empiric treatment. Usually the preferred treatment is oseltamivir. Um, and this is uh, given to pregnant individuals as 75 milligrams dose uh, orally twice a day for five days. The other alternatives are things like Xanamivir, which can also be used. So this is a uh, five milligram inhalation. So two five milligram inhalations twice a day for five days. And then the last option is Paramivir, which I've actually never seen or used before, but this is um, a one-time IV dose for 15 to 30 minutes. And really you shouldn't delay treatment while that respiratory infection test is running. If you suspect that they may have both the COVID and the flu, either because of symptoms or because of exposures, we can give both L-citamivir and Paxlovid at the same time. And then the other question that I feel like I get a lot is post-exposure chemoprophylaxis for flu. And so, you know, who should get this post-exposure um, prophylaxis? So because there's a high potential for morbidity and mortality related to flu in pregnant and postpartum individuals, post-exposure chemoprophylaxis can be considered for those um, who are pregnant and for those who are up to two weeks postpartum if they are exposed to flu. And the recommendation is actually the same medication, oseltamivir. Um, you give it at 75 milligrams, and the only difference is that you give it one time a day instead of two times a day, and then the length of dosing is seven days. This really should be started within 48 hours of the most recent exposure, and if the patient is past that time, then unfortunately giving the chemoprophylaxis is not necessarily as effective. At-risk family members of patients with flu should also be referred to healthcare professionals for consideration of chemoprophylaxis. So for example, you have someone who is immunocompromised who's also living at home with the pregnant patient, they should be considered also for chemoprophylaxis. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So why don't we go ahead and summarize? Absolutely. So we started off talking about the flu itself. Remember, it's a contagious respiratory virus, influenza virus, and negative sense RNA virus with multiple strains, A, B, C, and D. Though A and B are the ones that we think about because they cause more severe illness. C and D can infect humans, though C only causes mild disease, and D doesn't really cause illness in humans. Transmission chain is through aerosols and contaminated surfaces. And we care about it because you hear about it, right? It's in the news all the time and it's for good reason. 5 to 15% of the world's population contracts flu annually, 3 to 5 million severe cases a year, and 650,000 deaths across the world. About 8% of the American population gets sick from the flu per the CDC. Pregnant and postpartum individuals are at significantly higher risk of serious complications related to the flu, and so that's why we really care about it in our context quite a bit. We can prevent the flu with number one, vaccination, which is safe for pregnant and postpartum individuals as well as lactating individuals. Timing should be at the end of October, which is ideal, but really any time during the flu season, vaccination can be given. And we also know that in terms of um, 
how we can get patients to take their flu vaccine. We know that if their OBGYN or other obstetric health provider talks to them about it, they are much more likely to receive that flu vaccine. Of course, another way of prevention is to wear masks, and then other methods are things that we think about all the time, which are things like hand washing, cleaning surfaces, and then the usual techniques to minimize contamination or spread of disease. In terms of evaluating for flu in pregnancy or evaluating for flu period, again, the first thing is going to be assessing for symptoms. If you've got a patient with a fever and something like cough, runny nose, sore throat, headache or body ache, fatigue, difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, again, that should raise your ears up a little bit um, and get you thinking about testing for both COVID as well as influenza. At the same time, you want to assess for illness severity. If patients have alarm symptoms like difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, chest pain or pressure, inability to keep down liquids or dehydration sign and symptoms, patients with altered mental status who are less responsive or confused, or patients who are representing with worsening symptoms, you should encourage that patient either to present for in-person care via an emergency room or another equivalent location, or consider hospitalizing them for those symptoms. If patients have other comorbidities, things like immunosuppression, cardiovascular pulmonary issues, that also should be a reason that they should at least be evaluated in person. Otherwise, low-risk patients can be treated outpatient or even over the phone with follow-up in 24 to 48 hours to assure improvement or at least not worsening of symptoms. In terms of treatment of respiratory infection in pregnancy, we should not delay treatment while the respiratory infection test is running, and so you can go ahead and empirically treat them. The one that is recommended in pregnancy is oseltamivir, 75 milligrams orally twice a day for five days. If you suspect that they also have COVID, you can actually prescribe Paxlovid alongside oseltamivir as well, and pregnant and uh Patients who are postpartum uh, within two weeks uh, are also eligible for post-exposure chemoprophylaxis, again with oseltamivir, 75 milligrams once a day for seven days. All right, I think that brings us to the end of this episode, Nick. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Kriyang's Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Kriyag's River Coffee, on X at Kriyag's River Coffee 1. And if you want to support the show, go ahead and go into our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Kriyag's River Coffee. We've got show notes for this episode as well as all of our prior episodes on the website, kriyagsrivercoffee.com. If you have suggestions for us, you have questions, you want to reach out or have new suggestions for other episodes, go ahead and email us at kriyagsrivercoffee at gmail.com.